just gone straight on with it. But um, so we're going to be in James in a second. Children, you're not going to explain. I think some of you have found it already. We've got a craft for you to do. I'll explain that in a little while. But I just kind of want to set a bit of why we're doing that. Uh, but let's read from James chapter five and from verse seven. And we're going to. This is the end of our journey through James. We're going to be reading to the end. So this is James's final words uh, to the church in Jerusalem, but actually so timely for us as the church today as well. From verse 7, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, children, I need you to listen to this question. I've got a very important question that I would love to know the answer to. In, with the, the, what we were just reading speaks about being patient. I want you to have a little think. Do you think you generally are patient in that you're happy to wait for things to come along? Or do you think generally you're more impatient where you can't wait for things to happen and you just want time to pass so it happens? So, children, if you think generally you're a patient sort of person, can you put your hand up? Okay. Are there any hands over there? No. If you think generally you're kind of impatient, can you put your hand up? Yeah, lots of... <laughs> Let's ask the same question for the adults as well and see what they say. So, uh, everyone in the room, if you think generally you're, you tend to be a more of a patient sort of person, would you raise your hand? Yeah, okay, brilliant. And if you think actually you're more prone to be impatient about things, put your hand up. Okay, generally, on, generally, the picture is people tend to find it harder to be patient than others. Not entirely the case, but 
actually I think Paul's words to us today will be very, very timely. And it could be that in certain situations uh, we find it's easier to be patient than others. Other times there are things that we might really struggle with our patience in. But the craft we have, children, the craft we've got for you guys today is thinking about with Advent, with preparing for Christmas, actually, particularly if we're really desperate for Christmas to come about and we're feeling a bit more impatient about it, we've got this brilliant craft wheel here, this Advent prayer wheel, to think about actually while we're waiting for Christmas to come along, actually there are things that we can be doing to pray that can be a really good use of our time as we're getting ready for Christmas to come. So there's, a, if you want a, something that I would love all the kids to do, there's some um, card over there, you can need two pieces of card, they're different ones, Oops. one with the front of the wheel uh, and one with the things to pray for, so come and get a couple of bits of card, you'll need some scissors, you'll need a, a pin to be able to put them together, yeah, a split pin, they are our pins, but that's alright, uh, and there's some crayons, so grab the bits you need, take them back to where your adults are sitting, uh, and it would be a great thing for you to be able to do. And then at the end, as you go home, you've got this wheel to think about actually what are the things that we can be praying for that will maybe help us to keep a little bit more patient as we're waiting for the time to pass and for Christmas to come around. So, what are we going to be talking about today? What are we going to be thinking about today? Kind of, in a way, Paul, uh, say Paul, James has brought us full circle somewhat. If we think about the things that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, it's been said a number of times that James is actually a very challenging and provoking book. There are things in there that will make us feel uncomfortable, that will challenge us, and we think, actually, how do I, if we're kind of assessing where we're at in the things that James brings up, I think there is a lot of challenge that comes. But I really believe that God has been doing a good work among us over these weeks. I think it's for our good. God highlights these things in our lives and in our hearts. And James has been touching on things around um, about how we uh, endure and, and we remain steadfast through trial. Uh, how we're to be those who not just hear the word but do it. How we're to be those that show no partiality in who we welcome. Questions around how we use our money. Questions about how we engage with other, with other people. Questions about how we view the future. Do we entrust the future to God or do we find it hard because we want to keep control of those things? And there's more that we've been looking at. That's just some of it. But in the very, I don't know if it was the first or, or might have been the second week that we were looking at, James was speaking about how we're to be, to recognise that actually there's a testing of our faith that comes through difficult circumstances. And here, right at the, the other end, at the, coming towards the end of, of James's letter, he's talking about suffering and trial again. And so we're going to be thinking about that. But Paul's encouragement to us is his letter... Uh, I keep saying Paul, and it's not. If I say Paul, I mean James. James's encouragement to us is this, is how do we press on and endure, particularly through suffering and difficulties... He says, actually, we need to be patient. And then secondly, we need to be praying. And so we're going to think about those two things now. But it was interesting already as we've been thinking about by, by nature and by who we are, do we tend to be those people who are on the perhaps more impatient side 
or patient side, it's a good thing for us to be thinking of. But also recognizing that there's, I think there's, we can be impatient because we are think that we're impatient because there's something that we want to get to something. So if we're thinking about Christmas, perhaps we're impatient. We want Christmas to come around because we we want it to come around and we want to get to it. And there can be an impatience that comes that's like that, isn't there? I just want to get to it. I don't want to wait anymore. I want to receive what we've got. There's a good thing that we're looking forward to, and I just want to receive it. But actually, there can also be an impatience within us because we want to get away from something. We're impatient because we want something to be removed from us. And this is the patience that James is talking to us because he's saying about, talking about patience within the context of suffering. And that can be an incredibly hard thing for us to bear or to live out. Because when, it, when we're talking about questions of suffering or difficulty, actually there might be an impatience within us because we want it to be removed from us as quickly as possible. Or we want, to be, we want it to get away from us as quickly and as fully as possible. But in the midst of this, James is saying, actually, one of the things to overcome in suffering and endure in suffering is to be patient within it. How? That's a good question, Eva. How? And James actually helps us within this. And part of it is to do with this, is to do with our, our, our mindset and this recognition, actually, uh, particularly within the culture that we're in now, we're not really set up for patience. James talks about this, doesn't he? He actually tells us to think about farming. He says, look at the farmer, look at the farmer who waits through seasons, through rains that have to come in order for the crop to be born. And a lot of the language of the Bible is this agricultural language where we might be one to like, I want to see these things come through quickly. Even when we're thinking about, kings, uh, about the kingdom of God and things of the kingdom, we're thinking, oh, I want this to, to happen quickly and I want this to, to come to fruition quickly. But actually, the Bible speaks often about seasons and processes that take time. Where change perhaps is less instant, but, it, but it's about things growing over time until they do come to fruition. And I think James draws our attention here because he's saying, look, there is a sense where we have to endure and we just have to be patient as seasons pass and as God moves in the way that he needs to move. We used to speak quite a bit of keeping up to date with things, didn't we? I want to just keep everyone up to date. And I think the language has changed slightly. We talk about keeping up to date, you might be like, all right, we might, every week we might kind of just be kept up to speed with what's been happening that week or that month. Or One of the things you see less now, I know some people still do it at Christmas, they'll send out family updates, wouldn't they? This is what's been happening over the last year. And in that sense, we would be able to keep up to date with what's been happening over the last year. But I think nowadays we speak less about keeping up to date and we talk about um, things being kept up like to the minute, don't we? Rather than to the day, it's like to the minute. And it's so true, we have access to so many things now, don't we? That actually we don't have to wait a week to find out news. We don't have to wait a month to find out news. It's right there on our fingertips. If we want to find it, we can be kept up to the minute with how things are going. And, and I think that actually, if we're not careful, it works our way into how we deal with waiting because it can breed an impatience within us 
because we feel like I don't want to wait. Why do I have to wait? Because in so many other areas of life, we don't have to. I don't think we necessarily know how to deal with boredom anymore. Because if we're told we have to wait in line for something, what's our default? So many people, I'm going to get my phone out and I'm going to be entertained and I'm going to. And it's just by nature, it just creeps in without us necessarily realizing. And so patience and being patient, I think, is something that we need to just have our thinking realigned. Because it actually fights against a lot of how modern life is. Because we don't really have to wait for much anymore. We generally get stuff when we want it. Or we don't have to wait very long at all. But James is helping us here. Actually to recognise that there are seasons. And that there are times. And that we need to be patient. One of the things that really stood out to me in the middle of what James is saying about patience. He says this. He says, establish your hearts. And I think this is actually the key to being those who are patient, is having our hearts established. What do we mean by that? For something to be established, it's made fast, it's confirmed, it's set, it's secure. And if our hearts have been confirmed, and if our hearts have been made firm, if they're not prone to being swayed by what is going on in our lives, I think actually that is the key to being patient. That is the key to being steadfast and to standing firm. There's a few places in scripture where actually uh, it's spoken about being those who... Um, let's just find where I'm going. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 as well, we see very, very similar language. This time it is Paul that's speaking... In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12 to 13, uh, verse 11 to 13, Paul writes this, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts. There's something about God setting firm our hearts, Establish our hearts blameless in holiness before him, our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of the saints. So there's a sense of our hearts being rooted and established and being held firm in who God is and who God has made us to be and in the promises and truths of God that mean when circumstances around us seem uncontrollable or they're not what we choose, actually there's something about an anchor within our lives that, that allows us to remain patient. And it's about our hearts being established to allow God to transform our hearts. We've already been thinking a little bit, haven't we, about our hearts. When we came to share communion together, we took that moment to think, actually, what is going on in our hearts? What's the state of our heart like? I mentioned the Grinch. Back then, didn't I? The Grinch, the power for him. The big change in his life came about as his heart was changed. He hated Christmas. He hated what it stood for. He hated the people who lived near him. And yet, as he was shown love, as he came to understand in the context of that story what Christmas was about, his heart was changed. And this is what it says. This is how Dr. Zeus, the, the writer, puts it. In, in the story it says, and what happened then? 
Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew, grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. Within that story, there's something that happens that as his heart was changed, strength comes within him, a strength that he didn't have. But it could only come about as his heart was changed and he fully understood what Christmas was about. And I'm not trying to kind of minimise what's going on here, I just think that's a really helpful picture to help us to understand that actually as we understand what Christmas, if you like, what Christmas is about, what the Gospel is about, of Jesus coming, of light coming into darkness, of hope being brought into the world, of God himself coming to dwell amongst his creation, to dwell among us and to make himself known, not just to make himself known, but to make a way for us to come into his family. As we fully understand and see what the gospel is about, our hearts are changed and transformed, and what comes? Strength comes from that place. We're strengthened in that place and it's that which enables us to stand firm and to be patient. But our heart's not just established in what has been, but also in what will be. In that, those passages in 1 Thessalonians, I don't know if you noticed this at the end, it said, uh, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very similar to what James says here. He says, establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So our hearts are established in the truth of what has, and the goodness of what has already been done in and through Jesus. But not just in what has been done, but as we fix our eyes in what is to come. The promise that Jesus is going to be returning to gather his people to himself. And everything that has been broken and corrupted is going to be made new. And we're going to live forever in the restored and renewed creation with him. And so our patience comes, yes, from what has been, but also as we fix our eyes on what is to come. And as we realise that Jesus is going to be coming, Jesus is going to be coming back, we fix our eyes on that. And we enable ourselves to fix our eyes on that hope. And we can remain patient because we know that what is going on in our lives isn't the final result. It's not the end answer because of that promise that Jesus is going to come and set everything that is wrong right. And everything that we find is kind of holding us prisoner or binding us, we're going to be released from that because we will know freedom in all its fullness. So actually, we need to be those who are patient in suffering. How? By having our hearts established, our hearts transformed by God, but also by looking ahead to the coming of the Lord. There's another scripture, isn't there, that says that we are to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. The big picture of that is actually we fix our eyes on the secured promise of hope that we have that we don't necessarily see in its fullness yet, but will one day be fully realised. And so we allow our eyes, not just we allow our eyes, sometimes we need to remind ourselves to fix our eyes on the promise that is to come, even though we can't necessarily see it yet. We fix our eyes there.
but it's not that easy to do. And I think that's the reason why James recognises that we need examples to encourage us. And he tells us, look to the prophets as your examples, because these are guys who, who lived this out. They were those who were giving their all for the glory of God. They were speaking the truth of God into very dark situations. And because of it, they suffered. Because of it, they were really looked down upon by many. And yet, actually, we're told to look to them as examples of what it is to be patient in suffering. And so we're to look to the examples that we have that helps us to recognize that actually this isn't something that we walk through on our own. It's not something that is new to us in this place in history that we find ourselves. But actually, we've got examples right throughout God's story of people who have been able to, to endure and to remain patient through what they have faced. But does that, in, in that one sense, we remain patient by fixing our eyes on what is to come. But I don't think that means that we're to remain passive or inactive in the moment. Actually, there is something that we are to give ourselves to while we are waiting for Jesus to return. Scriptures say, don't they, if we're thinking about our hearts, it says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So essentially what comes out of us is an overflow of what is going on in our hearts. And so, therefore, if our hearts are established and if our hearts are set in God, then what we want is that what comes out is a reflection of what is going on in our hearts. And so when Paul, uh, when James tells us, he says we're to be patient in suffering, but then he also goes on to say, he talks about prayer. And he talks about singing praise. He's saying, actually, as your hearts are established, these are the things that will come out. These are the things that you are to give yourselves to. Doesn't he? He says, if anyone among you is suffering, what should they do? Let them pray. If anyone is cheerful, what should they do? They should sing praise. So there's an outworking in the, in the midst of waiting. If our circumstances are causing us to be suffering, or maybe we're in a place of cheerfulness, actually what comes out of us is an overflow of the steadfastness of our hearts, the establishment of our hearts. So if we're suffering, it's prayer. If we're cheerful, we sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So can we see actually this patience, isn't, it's not inactive. We're to give ourselves two things, but we need to make sure we're giving ourselves to the right things. We need to be giving ourselves to praise and we need to be giving ourselves to prayer. And I just want to touch on, just for a moment, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on here, but just a few key things that I feel uh, that are really around the prayer side of things that we just, I just want us to touch on and to be aware of. Because James goes on to talk about the prayer of faith, saving the sick. He goes to speak on about if you've, those who've committed sins will be forgiven. That there's an element of confession of sin and healing that comes with confession. And I, I just want to help us to navigate that a bit because otherwise I think we can come to some unhelpful places. And places where people have come to where if we're not experiencing healing from sickness... It can be easy for the finger to come in and say, you're not well because you don't have enough faith. Or you're not well because you have un unrepented sin in your life. And I think while there's elements where actually if we are, there are things that we need to work through. I think if our default is, we can end up pointing people to those places, which I don't think is what these scriptures are saying here. 
And it is not going to be something that is going to help people as they walk through seasons of sickness or seasons of, of, um, of suffering. I just, we, let's look at Matthew chapter 9. In this story where Jesus heals a paralytic. His friends bring him. And he's, uh, behold, some people brought to Jesus a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Do you recognize this? His friends brought him to Jesus for healing, a physical healing. What does Jesus deal with first? Take heart, my son. Not you are well. Get up and walk. He says, your sins are forgiven. And that's all Jesus, it seems that's all Jesus was going to do. Behold, um, some of the scribes and the Pharisees said amongst themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus Knowing their thoughts said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose up and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. What his, this guy's friends thought this man needed more than anything was to be healed of his physical disability. What did Jesus want to deal with? The state of this man's heart. He said, actually, above anything else, you need healing of, of your heart and of your soul. You need to be forgiven of your sins. Jesus did heal him physically. But in a way that was secondary almost, Jesus said, I'm going to do this as a demonstration that I also have the authority to forgive sins. And when we look at these verses in James through that lens, I think it helps us to understand a little more of what James is saying. Because what James is saying here is, uh, he says, doesn't he, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. But if we see that in the context of what happened to the man in Matthew with Jesus, it's very different, isn't it? Than us looking and saying, well, it, being healed of your physical sickness, uh, it, it, um, that actually if you have enough faith, then you will be healed of your sickness. And if you don't have sin, then you'll be healed of your sickness. Actually, what's happening here is that Jesus is, is dealing with the thing that needed to be dealt with most in that man's life. And there's a promise that there is healing that will come. But what is the healing that is actually needed? It's the healing of our souls. It's the healing of our hearts. It's the healing of our relationship with God where sin has come in and, been, uh, and has corrupted what is going on. And so when James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The ultimate thing that all of us need to be healed of is our propensity to sin. And so in that sense, we should all be confessing our sins to one another. We should all be praying for one another because it's in that place we find healing. Healing of our souls, healing of our hearts in every way that we need to be healed. Because there is a danger that if we're careful, we look at what James is saying as a formula. Well, if I do X and Y and Z, if I do things in the right way, if I follow this exactly as James has said, then I'm going to be healed of my sickness. What then happens if that doesn't happen? We end up thinking, the onus is on me. There's something, either I don't have enough faith, or there's sin in my life, that actually that's the reason why it's blocking it. And please hear, I'm not trying to confuse things, please hear my heart in this. 
I think there is definitely an element where if there are things going on in our life, we have to say, God, is there something going on here that I need you to bring revelation to? Is there something that needs dealing with here? But actually, we need to recognize that I think James is talking about something. The scope is much, much broader than simply talking about physical healing here. It's that recognition that all of us need to experience the healing of God. Particularly our propensity to sin. But there is that promise, isn't there? That actually, as we pray, we will experience healing. As we pray, we will experience forgiveness of sins. As we confess our sins to one another, we will receive forgiveness and we will receive wholeness and we will will receive healing. And there's that promise in there that the Lord will raise him up. We know that actually there will be a day that that the, the, the day when Jesus comes, that we will be raised up in Christ. And everything that was broken as sin entered the world, all of that is going to be undone. And all of us are going to experience healing in every way that we need to. Whether spiritual, whether physical, whether emotional. We're going to be raised up with Christ on that day. And the healing will be fully, fully realised. Don't hear what I'm not saying. If people are sick, we pray for them to be healed. Because we see that in scripture and we know that God brings healing. We know that God heals. We have stories of that amongst us, I'm sure. Part of my story is that as a baby with meningitis, as people prayed, God brought healing. So I absolutely am convinced of the fact that we pray for healing when sickness comes. But I also think James is saying, just open the scope of what I'm talking about here. This isn't just just solely about physical healing. I'm talking about spiritual healing that comes. Healing of of our broken relationship with God. Healing that comes as sins are forgiven. And actually, that there is, there is, he speaks, doesn't he, about this prayer of faith. And again, one thing I just want to touch on quickly is this, is that when we speak of a prayer of faith, sometimes we can either think it's about faith in having enough faith in in ourselves, kind of mustering up enough faith, or we have faith that a particular outcome is going to happen. If I just have enough faith that this person is going to get healed, then that person is going to get healed. But I don't think it is that. I found Jen Wilkin, she's a a teacher, an author, she does Bible studies, Uh, she's just brilliant, and I found her really, really helpful on this. She says that the prayer of faith, when we're talking about faith, it's not a faith in a particular outcome, but in the God of all outcomes. I'm going to say that again. Because otherwise we think it's faith about a certain thing happening. But a prayer of faith is not about that. A prayer of faith is about a faith not in a particular outcome, but in the God of all outcomes. Our faith is in who God is, not that things will work out just as we expect or hope that they will. So when we come and we pray in faith, it's because of who we're praying to. We're praying in faith, uh, faith in the God of, of all outcomes, of whatever he will do, of whatever he might do. And so we need to make sure that when we're talking about praying the prayer of faith, that our eyes are fixed in the right place. That our eyes are fixed on God who can, through him nothing is impossible. He can do all things, but we entrust 
the outcome to him. Then another example that James gives us. He says, doesn't he, that we're to look for the prophets of our examples of patience and suffering. But he also talks about Elijah, a prophet, as an example to us of prayer. Of how we pray while we're in that place of waiting for Jesus to return. He says, actually, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Why does he say that? Because actually there wasn't anything particularly different about Elijah than there is to us. That if we can, we can look at the story of Elijah and of how Elijah prayed and there was no rain for three years and six months. And we can look at that and say, I could never pray a prayer like that. I could never bring that about. That's nothing that I could be, ever be involved in. But actually, um, James is saying Elijah was a man just like us. But actually, yes, through his prayers and through his faithfulness to God and his obedience to God, these things were done. Then it says, then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and earth bore its fruit. So we're to look to Elijah. But what we see is that in, in this story of Elijah, as, he's, as, as the rains have fallen and uh, have stopped, sorry, and the droughts have come for years, at the beginning of 1 Kings 18, God says to Elijah that you ought to go to King Ahab and to tell him that the rains are about to come. So what that shows us is that when Elijah was praying for the rains to come, he was praying what the Lord had already told him was going to happen. So his prayers, he was praying the revealed will of God as God had revealed it to himself. And I think that's so helpful for us to recognise that actually as we pray... As we're told to pray in this place of suffering, as we're told to pray in this place of, of waiting and expectation of Jesus returning, how are we to pray? We're to pray in line with the will of God, just as Elijah did. How do we know the will of God? We see it revealed through Scripture. We see the promises of God through Scripture. But we also know it through God speaking into our life, don't we? Through the gift of prophetic words that have been spoken over us, of promises that God has spoken to us in our hearts and so actually we're to be those who pray in line with the revealed will of God and as we do so trusting that what God has said he will do he will do and there has been a lot of late about this whole thing of prayer as a battlefield as prayer as spiritual warfare and I think we need to keep that mindset Actually, as we come to God and we stand and we say, God, as you reveal your heart to us, as you reveal your will to us, we're going to stand and we're going to pray these things back to you. And we're going to trust that you will bring, bring breakthrough in these places. But we need to be active in this. We need to be pressing into God in prayer. We need to be petitioning God in prayer. And it is that kind of warfare battle mindset. And I think actually today, I wasn't necessarily going to touch on this, but we're in, this building here was a drill, a drill hall. It was used by the military for hundreds or so years. It would have been a place where they would have come to do their exercises, to do their drills, to think things through in terms of what battle looked like. And I think actually for us, as we're gathered here together as a church in this place, there's something of a, actually there's a, 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 a battle mentality a warfare mentality that we have to have, particularly when it comes to prayer. As we're pressing on in God in prayer, in this gap of we know that Jesus is going to, be, going to return and everything is going to be set right. That darkness will be done away with forever, but as we find ourselves in this gap of the, the now and the not yet, where we see things in part but not fully realised, 
We give ourselves to prayer, and we give ourselves to prayer in battle uh, and, in, and, in, and in warfare. We're not just sitting, waiting for Jesus to come back. There's something that we're to give ourselves to. The things of the kingdom, and as James points out, one of the big things is in prayer. Lynn, at the beginning of the meeting, she gave me uh, a page of some of the things that, that God has been speaking to her about. And it just fits so well. We're in here, in this military drill hall. These are the things that God laid on, on Lynn's heart. I think some of them are lyrics to songs and some other thoughts. We sing glory, honour, power and strength to the Lord. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. We sing songs that we? We are marching in the love of God. There's that sense of, of purpose. You march in times of warfare, don't you? In times of battle. Other songs, it's a sound of praise. It's a sound of war. The army of God is marching on. The Lord has trained my hands for battle. The Lord of hosts gives victory. And I think there's, again, just something that God's been speaking over the last few weeks already, but I think he's just really coming again and just emphasising it again. It is a battle when we come in prayer. Because we're standing against principalities and powers. We recognise that there is an enemy who wants to, to see the plans and purposes of God fail. But we know that they will not fail. Why? Because God has said, he has spoken his word about what he will do. No enemy will stand against the purposes of God. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to give ourselves in battle, in prayer, giving ourselves in warfare and I think this is what James is, is calling us to and this is where James is bringing his letter to a close so brothers and sisters brothers and sisters let's establish our hearts in who God is and in what God has done but also to fix our eyes on the reality that Jesus is coming back one day and as we do those things Let's, con let's continue to be patient, even in the face of suffering, even in the face of challenge, even in the face of trial. But I also recognise that we don't do this on ourselves, we're to do it as community as well. There are script there's, uh, I won't read it now, but there's some more verses in 1 Thessalonians that speak about what is going to happen when Jesus comes again, of how the dead will be raised, of how when Jesus returns we'll meet him in the air and we will join him in there, we will join him there. And then Paul goes on to say, encourage one another with these words. That we're to remind one another of the promise of what God is going to do. We're to remind one another of the fact that Jesus is coming again. We're to draw one another's eyes to the day that is coming when Christ will come. Because when we're in, when we're in the midst of suffering ourselves, sometimes our, we can't see it ourselves and we need to be reminded. So brothers and sisters, let's be those that encourage one another and stand alongside one another. That we will, we will be a people who are able to be patient in suffering. But let's also be those who, if anyone is amongst us suffering, let's pray. If we're cheerful, let us sing praise. If anyone is sick, call for the elders. Let them pray over them and anoint them. Let us be confident in our prayers, not in who we are, but because of the one of... No, I'm not going to say not because of who we are. We can be confident in our prayers because of who we are, because we are now in Christ. And because of that relationship that we now have 
with the Father. We can, our faith is in the, in, in the God of all outcomes. So let's be confident in our prayers. Let's have faith in the one in whom we're coming to pray to. Let's pray for one another. For healing of our bodies, for healing of our, of our souls, for healing of our emotions. Let's be those who confess our sins to one another. And as we know we do so, we will receive healing in every way that it is needed. But let's keep walking with each other. Let's keep encouraging each other. Let's keep spurring one another on. Let's allow ourselves to keep pressing forward. James finishes this letter in quite an abrupt manner. We get some letters in the Bible that say, oh, please send my greetings to this person and this person. Long to be with you. Here are kind of some final thoughts to draw it all together. But James doesn't finish his letter like that. Like quite a lot of his letter, it's quite punchy and to the point. But how does he finish? He says this, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. I think he's kind of filling in the hole. He's tying up the hole of the rest of his letter sense of look there are things that we need to give ourselves to there are challenges that we're going to face there are difficulties in this life that we're going to face but actually we need to be looking out for one another we need to be aware of what is going on in one another's lives why because if any one of us starts to wander from the truth we need to be those who gather them back in and to draw them back in and it just helps us to realize once again the reality of this life that Jesus is one for us. This life that we've called us to isn't one that we're meant to do in isolation because we need one another to keep an eye out for one another, to draw alongside, to put an arm around one another. When we see difficulties coming in, where we see error maybe slipping in, where we see someone wandering away from the truth, to be those who draw one another back in. Because we love one another. We don't want anyone to be lost. But we need to be those who are looking out and drawing in. It's been quite a journey over these few months as we've looked through James. But may I really encourage you, let's not be quick to move on and think, okay, what's the next thing? I think there's more here for us to sit with and to work through and to journey through. But I trust that as we do so, God is going to bring about good fruit they're good fruit in our lives individually but together as a church as well we're going to draw our time together to a close now there's going to be tea and coffee and cake and time for fellowship but I also specifically really want to say if you are in a place today whereas James speaks about those if anyone here is suffering if you're like actually that's me I'm in a place where I'm suffering at the minute or if, as James said, if, anyone, if anyone amongst you is sick, you're like, actually, I'm, I'm physically, I'm, I'm unwell, I need healing. Then please do. I would love to pray for you, or I'm sure Pete would love to pray for you. It doesn't have to be an elder. Get alongside, ask someone here to come and pray for you, to stand with you in prayer. I think, you know, if this is what James is saying, if anyone is suffering, if anyone needs healing, we're to pray. Let's do that together. Uh, I think specifically we've been thinking about that, so let's not miss the opportunity to pray specifically for those things today as